Well, good morning. I'll add my greetings to the ones you've already heard. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just so thankful that you're here with us at Grace Church. You're welcome here anytime the doors of this church are open, and so I'm just thankful that you're here. Uh, there's a number of things we've already done in our service. Uh, we've been able to see a lot of really great things, and we've been able to sing God's praises, but now we're going we're gonna to shift, and we're just going to sit, and we're going to let God speak to us. Uh, that's what happens at this point in the service. We, we've been standing, and we've been singing, and we've been saying things, but now we're just going to sit and we're gonna let God do his work and let him speak to us. And he does that through the Bible. So let me just encourage you to take your Bible uh, in whatever form you have it. Go with me to 2 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter two. 1 Timothy chapter two. That's where we're gonna be today. We're gonna look at the first eight verses. We also have a tool to be used just for our time in God's word. It's our sermon notes. You can find them on the app or there's a hard copy form, looks like there will be a couple of them, right back there, and everything that I say will be on the screens. So hopefully it'll make it easier for you to, uh, for you to, for you to follow along. I'm, I'm really, really excited to be, in the, to be in the book of 1 Timothy, and actually we're just going to continue when we finish it and go right into 2 Timothy in this really just important season in the life of our church. Uh, and that's really for one reason, because, because Paul, Paul write, wrote this letter to a young pastor named Timothy in the, in the ancient city of Ephesus, because Timothy was put there by Paul in order to set things right. Uh, the church at Ephesus ha- was having some problems. Uh, they were kind of out of kilter with leadership and with false teaching. Uh, already, early on, things were, be- things were challenging. And so Paul has some instructions for Timothy for how to set the church in order and for just how to get, th- how to get things right. And so in all of this, the opportunity we have week in and week out is to have our hearts calibrated and trained in our understanding of the local church and of the importance of the local church. Among all of the books in the Bible, 1st and 2nd Timothy are really geared to help us do this, to help disciples of Jesus grow in their understanding of and their concern for the worship, the witness, and the welfare of the local church. And so each week we have this opportunity to be reminded that the Bible will just not let us separate out devotion to Jesus from devotion to his people. There's just no way that you can make sense of what we have in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, and say that I can be be really devoted to the Lord Jesus and not find, have that find any expression with his people. And so 1 Timothy is just going to help us continue to do that. And I think 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, is going to contribute to this. As Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, first of all, pray. First of all, pray. Let's stand uh, as we are able. Let's, uh, let's read God's word. So if you would stand, please. Just follow along as I, as I read. I'm gonna, we're going to start in verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, and I'm going to read down to verse 8. 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1, just listen as I read. The Bible says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all people, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. 
I, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. This is God's word. Let's pray for his help. Lord Jesus, would you please, by your spirit, help us to see wonderful things from your word. And Lord, would we, as we talk about prayer today, there's just so many, there's so many threads that we could pull, so many things about prayer that we could talk about. We could talk about the length and the how and the where and the, and the when and the how often and what, what is happening when it doesn't seem like God is answering my prayers. Lord, we know that across religions, just across people that don't even claim to be religious, a high, just a huge number of percentage of the, popu- of the world population indicates that they pray. It says, Lord, is, it, is if there's something in us that just has us cry out for help from beyond ourselves or, or from beyond the tools and the resources that this world gives us. And so, Lord, I pray that as your people, as disciples, that we would be trained in this particular kind of praying and that we would leave today, if, if it is at all possible, Lord, with our lives transformed in a way, in such a way that prayer is no longer a bore or a drudgery, but it's the most thrilling and exhilarating thing that we can do. Because each and every time we pray through the finished work of, of Jesus Christ, we have an audience and an invitation with the high King of heaven. And we cannot ask you too much. We cannot ask you for too much. And so, Lord, may we be thrilled by this fact by the end of our time together in your word. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. You take your seats, everybody. Thank you. Okay, so this, this passage clearly needs a summary. There's all sorts of things that you could pick up on, all sorts of themes, um, even with the one theme of prayer uh, that we have. So, so I, I always just try to give a summary of what we have right in front of us. And then really what you're just going to see me do, hopefully, is just break down that summary and say it in a few different ways so that we're able to leave with the main gist of the passage. And then hopefully when we get to the end, I'm just going to ask one question uh, of each of us, a question I've really been asking myself all week uh, that I think will help us, help us, um, help us move out from here uh, with our understanding of, uh, of these things. And so uh, the, the summary of the passage is the message in a sentence at the top of your notes. It'll also be on the screen. So I think Paul is saying to Timothy this. I think he's saying, Timothy... As you lead the people in Ephesus, remember to lead them to pray for all kinds of people because there is only one God who alone is the Savior of all kinds of people. In this passage, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, as you, as you lead this church, lead them to pray for all kinds of people because the reason being there is only one God who desires to save all kinds of people. So this passage is clearly about prayer. Paul starts with the priority of prayer in verse 1, and he ends with the attitude of prayer in verse 8. Also clearly, this passage is is about the heart of God and his desire for all peoples and how these two things come together. And so what we need to see as we start is that these eight verses in front of us today are on the one hand as large and as vast as the world, from Iowa to Indonesia, and as practical as any and every praying believer and church. And if we hold these two things together, I think that we can grow in our understanding of this. So, I think we can break down the particulars with three headings. Three headings. First, we see in this passage the encouragement to pray for all kinds of people. This is clearly where Paul starts, and what he does in verses 1 through 2, let me just, let me just summarize what Paul says in verses 1 through 2. Paul says, Timothy, lead, lead your people to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, 
including those who hold positions of authority, that is, those in your culture and world whose action affects the conditions of those under that authority, in order that the gospel that we know, that we love, that we treasure and that we, and treasure and that we preach can have a clear path to run here, there, and everywhere. That's what he says in the first two verses. He says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. First of all, pray all kinds of prayers. That's the meaning of this supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Those are all different kinds of praying. Basically, they're similar enough for us to be able to say that each of them means to ask God for what someone needs. This is about intercession. This is about praying for other people. And, and Paul says you need to lead your people to pray all kinds of prayers, particularly for those that are in authority. So Paul says, pray for all people, pray for those who hold positions of authority. That includes Emperor Nero, who was the ruler at this time who was not a good dude. Pray for him. No Christian in the first century would have voted for Emperor Nero. Not that they did vote. Pray for him. Why? So that the church can live in a particular way. Look at again this phrase, the last phrase of verse 2. That we, the church, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Paul is saying pray for certain conditions so that the gospel can run and, and, and run and find its place where it needs to pray. Now, let's keep this in mind. To be, to be biblical Christians, it really is the case that oftentimes two things have to be true at once. Okay, so... True or false, God uses negative conditions for his people, conditions like persecution, in order to move his gospel ahead. True or false? That's true. God uses persecution to do that. It's also true that believers are not to go seeking out difficulty and persecution and pain. It's simply a result of their living godly lives in Christ Jesus. You don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to go find some persecution. You do, it happens as a result of your, of, your, of your faith in Christ. And so Paul is saying that can be true and we can pray for certain kinds of conditions under which the gospel can run. And so Paul says, pray for this kind of thing. Paul is telling Timothy, pray for all kinds of people without distinction because God is a God who desires to save all kinds of people without distinction. We have to get a handle on his meaning of the word all. Did you notice how many times all is in the passage? Five times he says this. This passage is really big, and it's really wide. Now, when Paul says, therefore, therefore first of all, pray, and then he says at the end of verse 1, all men, he can't mean what he can't mean is to tell the church to pray for each and every individual person one by one without exception. That's impossible. You can't, I mean, I don't know every single person, each and every one over and over by, by I don't know them. Now, maybe, maybe you could pray, we could come into a church service and, and a, someone could pray something like, you know, uh, Lord, we pray for every single person on the planet that you would save those whom you choose or whatever, or those that repent to believe. You could do that, but that certainly isn't what Paul means. He certainly means all kinds. Timothy, lead your people 
to be indiscriminate with who they pray for. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter their ethnicity. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter if they grew up in church or if they didn't grow in church. You pray for them because there is a God who, in heaven who is the Savior who desires to save all kinds of people. That leads to number two, the reason we pray for all kinds of people. The reason we pray for all kinds of people. And simply this, our motivation, friends, to be a praying people who pray for all kinds of people is God's passion to save all kinds of people. We pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people because God desires to save all kinds of people. Look at verse 3. Paul says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This kind of praying, this kind of activity in the life of the church. God loves this. It pleases God. Verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's been said many times, and so it absolutely has to be true, that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How easily we can find ourselves worshiping a God of our own image. How easily we can find ourselves breaking the second commandment. Remember the, the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments? So the first commandment, have no other gods before me, that has to do with who we worship. Only God. Commandment number two is how we worship him, not by images. There's nothing, no man-made creation can accurately represent the glory of the inscrutable, infinite God. So, so, so in, our, in our culture today, we don't have any we don't have any physical images that, that, that we would look at and say, oh, there's, there's, your, there's God, but we do have mental images. We can form gods in our own image, in our own mind, thoughts that dishonor him, thoughts that, thoughts that suit our tastes and ease our consciences. How many people today, perhaps here or elsewhere, dishonor God with thoughts of him that are beneath him and beneath them. Thoughts of a God who laughs, the greatest villain laugh imaginable from heaven whenever topics of sin and death and judgment and condemnation are mentioned. As if God is a God who's in heaven looking to zap all the bad people and bless all the good people. This is not how the world is. There's just bad people like us. Friends, God was, he is, and he always will be the best of all things. And verse 4 says that he desires to save all kinds of people. He desires to be indiscriminate. I mean, after all, he gave, he gave his very best in his son. This, the, the, Paul is telling us that God is Savior. Look at verse 3 again. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, that's a title God is Savior. That's who he is. He's, 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 not, he's looking at a world and saying, and saying be saved. Okay, come, come, come and find life. So the first reason we pray for all kinds of people is because God is the Savior of all kinds of people. It's a title. He's God our Savior. Now probably I would think that Paul has in mind Isaiah 45 Verses 21 and 22. I'm going to read them quickly. Isaiah 45, verses 21 to 22. You may be able to make your way there. Just write the reference down. Now, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 45. God himself says, Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told you this long ago? Who declared it of old? 
Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Then he says this, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now, doesn't that sound like verse 3? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It sounds like Isaiah 45, verses 21 to 22, sounds an awful lot like 1 Timothy 2, verse 3. Now, hear that and look at verse 5. For there is one mediator, or excuse me, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay, so what you have in verses 5 and 6 is one of the clearest explanations of the gospel you'll ever find anywhere. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6 is right up there with 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, that 2 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, that's right up there with Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that is, that, that is just clear, the person and the work of Jesus. We see the person of Jesus with this word mediator. Mediator, you know what a mediator is. A mediator is a guy who comes in the middle who settles a dispute. People aren't getting along and he brings them together. Why? Because he's equally qualified to represent both. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He's qualified uniquely to be God for man and man for God. Friends, today, right now, the middleman between sinners and the holy God is not an angel, it's not Mary, it's not some guru, it's Jesus. He is the mediator between God and man. You go right to him. He's uniquely qualified to do this. And that's his person. And Paul speaks of his work with the idea of ransom in verse 6. A ransom is a sacrifice of substitution that pays a price. Well, that takes us right to the cross where Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins, paying our penalty so that we now and forever can sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. This is the person and work of Jesus. What does this have to do with praying? It has everything to do with praying. For verses 5 and 6, I want to give you two words that need to shape the way we think about God and his purposes and the way we pray. Word number one, exclusive. Exclusive. To be exclusive is to deliberately exclude or to limit. And friends, we have to get a handle on the fact that Christianity in one place is exclusive. Do you see what Paul did there in verse 5? Look again at verse 5. He's been saying all, 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 then in verse 5, for there is how many gods? One God. Okay, so for all these kinds of people out there, there's one God. There's not a Hindu God, there's not a European God, there's not an American God, there's one God. He is exclusive. And so it's not as if there's one God over here and another over here. No, there's one God. So there, it is exclusive. We simply, to be biblical Christians, rule out the notion that there is more than one God. There's one. Word number two, inclusive. Inclusive. Now, to be exclusive is to exclude or to limit. If that's the case, 
then to be inclusive is to include and to deliberately not limit. This is what we see at the end of verse 6 when Paul speaks of the man Christ Jesus. He speaks of his work on the cross like this in verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. Well, what's going on there? One God, but there's a ransom for all. So, in other words, what this passage is not teaching is that God, we should pray for all kinds of people because God desires to save all people without exception. That's universalism, and it's a false teaching. It's a false teaching that denies the character of God, denies the necessity and the sufficiency of Christ, and denies the fact of hell. It's dangerous and it's untrue. What this is teaching is that Grace Church, you need to pray for all kinds of people. From President Biden all the way down to your closest neighbor. Because there is a savior in heaven who has presented a ransom for all people, not without exception, but without distinction. Who can be saved? Anybody. He's a ransom for all kinds of people. Black people, white people, Hispanic people, European people, Asian people. Who are you? You can be saved. It's without distinction. No one who comes to Jesus Christ will be excluded on the basis of anything. Do you realize that? Like, like, no, 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 wrong skin color. Sorry, you don't have enough money. Sorry, you're not from where I'm from. Sorry, your past is nuts. No. He's the ransom for all. Friends, this is also highlighting the sufficiency of the work of Jesus. If if God God in his complete control of the universe, I don't know, throw out a number of how many people will be saved. I have no clue. It's really hard to make sense of it sometimes. I don't know. I I just happen to think it's going to be a lot. Okay? Let's say he has in mind, I'm afraid to throw out a number. Okay? Here's the point. Ransom for all. No matter what the number, how many times is Jesus going to have to die? Once to cover the sins of any and all kinds of people forever. And that work is so necessary and so sufficient and so needed that if there were just one sinner, he would have had to die. Friends, if we want to get a handle on God's work in the world, we must know exclusive and inclusive. There is one God who will save any and all without distinction. Whoever you are today, you can be saved. That's what this means. So, we pray for all kinds of people. Now, clearly, this message of no discrimination and no distinctions needs to go where? It needs to go everywhere. Everyone needs to hear this. All kinds of people need to hear this, guys. Everybody. From Iowa to Indonesia, everybody needs to hear this. And we need to play our part. That's why we're talking about the things we are today. Pastor Andrew led us to think about this in our time of announcements, what all this has to do with our mission and has everything to do with how we pray. And then what what happens in the the last part of the passage is Paul inserts himself in verse 7, the writer, and we see the example of one who preached to all kinds of people. The example of one. So Paul says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. Now he means verses 5 and 6. This is my message. I preach, I, I go, I'm going to Spain. Where, I'm, I'm going, that's where I'm going. 
Because the ransom for Christ saves the, is indiscriminate towards them just like it is to, towards the Jews in Palestine. That's, that's how this man thinks. He calls himself a teacher, an apostle, and a preacher. I just want to point this out at the end of verse 7. Of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, Gentiles is just another way of saying all kinds of people. Because Gentiles in this context was everybody who wasn't an ethnic Jew. So Paul's just doubling down. All kinds, all kinds, all kinds. God's a savior. He doesn't discriminate who can be saved, any and all. So you go and pray for all kinds of people. Now clearly, clearly, this begs the question. If there is only one God, if there is only one mediator, if there's only one ransom that is sufficient and necessary for any and all who will claim it for their salvation, then how urgent should our praying and our preaching and our going be? Think, think about, let's do a thought experiment. If, if, if the God we're talking about is just the God of America, he was, he, he, was, he was only concerned with the continental United States. And we knew, this is just reality, let's just pretend, that Europe had its own. Okay, well, you don't have a lot of urgency to go to Europe anymore, right? But if we affirm exclusivity and inclusivity, we have to, the operative word for the mission of the church to make disciples is urgent. It's urgent. There is no way anybody can have a positive relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. So we have to go. And we have to pray. So what have we learned, friends? We've learned that we are to prioritize prayer for all kinds of people because there is only one God who desires to save all kinds of people. That leads to what I think is a final obvious question for application, and it is this. Who am I praying for? Who am I praying for? There was a Scottish pastor a few hundred years ago named John Knox, and um, He's just this really cool figure from history. So he was really tall, kind of intimidating. He, was, he just kind of had that gravitas about him. And he had this big, long beard. And he, he, was, he was a Scottish preacher and pastor. And he was really concerned at, at, in his time with the church in Scotland. He was just, he, 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 he was concerned. It was kind of drifting from the gospel. Its, its preachers weren't exactly being above reproach. He really wanted to see it reformed. He loved his country. And he loved the people that were around him. He loved the Scottish people. And, and it's recorded that, that, that over and over again, John Knox would pray. He would either write it or he would say it. It's in his journals all over the place, and he would, it was recorded that he would say it in his, in, in his preaching. He would, he would say to the Lord, remember, he's Scottish. He would say, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. Now, your thought about that may be the same thought that I, I think whenever I read it and when I just refreshed myself about it this week, okay, okay, John, why don't we just dial that back a little bit? It's pretty intense, pretty serious. Well, I think it has everything to depend upon our thoughts of God. And I, and I don't think Knox is making an arrogant, uh, an arrogant, um, you know, demand of God. I think he's making a passionate plea. And so we could say, give me Scotland or I die. And we could just ask, okay, is that, 
Is that legitimate? Can we pray that way? Yes, because I think that prayer rightly estimates the one who said, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Give me Scotland or I die. What about us? For whom will we make such a passionate plea for all kinds of people? By the way, it could be for a single person. So what would it, what would it, what would it look like if 700 or so people between our two services committed themselves to, make, to making a list, just being very simple, and making a list, a long list, a short list, whatever, of people that, that includes, that, that is everyone from their closest neighbor to President Biden to a people group with no access to the gospel in Africa. What would, what would, I, wonder, I wonder what God would do when he looked down at those people. I think he would say, that, I, think it would, I think it would be a people of consequence, a people of significance. And I think that's a set of people who are thrilled by the fact. I, I, it is so easy, it's so easy as a pastor to fight thoughts of discouragement And I was talking to a brother right here after the service who said, I'm encouraged because I pray and I pray and I pray and I need to be reminded, just crank the car again tomorrow morning. We can get so discouraged and we can feel that we're, I mean, look, I mean, look, there's not too many of us in here today. We can fill up whole stadiums today. I mean, with with sports, I mean, what are we really, does this matter? Is it significant? And how thrilling it is to know that we, through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, through the one who has removed every barrier to our everlasting enjoyment of God, we can, from our seats, be involved in the most significant work in the world. The most significant work in the world is not happening in Washington, D.C. It's happening in heaven from the high king. And if we can get our minds around this, your life will become thrilling. Give me Scotland. What do you, isn't it thrilling to know that your every desire for someone to come to Christ has an outlet even if you can't go anywhere? It can Ask him, give me Scotland, give me my neighbors. Do it, God, for your namesake. We gotta pray this way. And and I know it sounds outlandish and it sounds crazy, but your life can be immediately transformed. Pray like, you you don't have to go anywhere. And now the question is, of course, did God answer John Knox's prayer? Give me Scotland. Well, for that, look with me in Revelation chapter 5. We'll end here. Revelation 5. Look at verse 8. With this will be finished and I'll lead us to pray. Revelation 5 verse 8. It says this. This is a vision of Jesus. Revelation 5, verse 8. For when he had taken the scroll, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have ransomed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now what is tribe, tongue, people, and nation? All kinds of people. All kinds of people. 
What do you want to ask him? Who do you want to ask him for? Do it. John, I'll end with this. John Newton, you know John Newton because he's the man that wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. In one of John Newton's hymns, he has this line. You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such, you cannot ask too much. When you own everything, you can't be asked for too much. We have an invitation from the king. Let's accept it. Let's do that now through prayer. Let's pray together, friends. Okay, Lord, you've been very clear how we are to pray and direct ourselves. And so, Lord, I think, I think the best thing we can do is just take just a moment and just pause. Just pause in silence and consider, just let our thoughts run and let our hearts run for just a moment, even in the middle of this prayer. Lord, would you bring people to mind? We're just, Lord, all we're wanting to do is just perhaps just have this impression made of ourselves that, that just a memory of, of a message, not, not because of the, of the preacher or just because of your word that sets this very simple activity in our minds. And Lord, what, what we know, or would you rather convince us now that all this stuff about praying and all the, all the threads we could pull about it it, 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 you know, you need classes on prayer. You do. We, we can learn strategies and ways of doing it. One of the ways we learn how to pray better, Lord, is just by listening to other people do it. But Lord, isn't it the case? Would you convince us now that so much of our motivation to pray has to do with our view of you? And so, Lord, would you fix in our minds that you are king and that we cannot ask you for too much? We've never asked you for too much. You own everything. You cannot be asked for too much. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that we would be thrilled with the fact that our every desire can find an outlet through prayer. And that, Lord, you would make us a praying people. We're hoping to be, Grace Church, a, 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 a people of prayer. And so, Lord, would you just build this activity? And like, and, and like this brother said to me, just thank you for the encouragement to just start the car up again tomorrow morning and to be at it. And, Lord, there's a mystery with how we pray. Some of us have prayed for years and years and years, and, and we're really discouraged. Lord, you're mysterious. I do know that you are sovereign, you are good, and you are wise, and we need to keep it up. And so, Lord, give us perseverance. Give us comfort. And, Lord, if we could ask it, would you give us answers to our prayers? <laughs> when we shoot an arrow, we ought to go see where it lands. So, Lord, we're going to throw up some prayers, and we're going to go see where that arrow lands. And we're going to do it with excitement, with an eagerness to glorify you. And so, Lord, even as we go from here now, may these thoughts just be with us. And may we make some simple steps to make it actual in our lives. In Jesus, we pray these things in your great name. Amen. Amen.